As indicated in your order of worship, we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts. We're thinking about this theme, the way disciples act during these great 50 days of Easter. From the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, listen for the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground. Though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, where for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this very moment he is praying, and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias come in and laying hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man. I've heard how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And now here he has the authority from the high chief priest to bind all of us who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before all the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went, and he entered the house. He laid hands on Saul, and he said, Brother, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and his sight was restored, and he got up, he was baptized, and after eating some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A very cursory Google search of the word conversion will offer some common definitions. Conversion, the process of changing belief or changing from one party to the other party or the, the alteration of a physical or chemical nature of some property or the, the points that you score after a touchdown. It's conversion. What we think about when we hear the word conversion is that something has to change or something needs to be repurposed, that it, what it was used for originally is not working. Something has to change. Something must be converted. We think about this a lot in numbers and measurements and currency. They all have conversion rates, we say. 
Conversion vans at one point were a thing. You convert them from one thing to another. I don't know if they're still a thing or not. I don't know. Furnaces are often converted from gas to propane, and the latest trend is to go from a gas-burning vehicle to what kind? Electric. Yeah, this conversion from one something we know to something new. What about people who need converting and changing? Who needs to be repurposed? Who is it that's broken and needs repairing? What about systems and institutions that are broken and need repairing, need changing, need converting, need the power of the Holy Spirit breathed into them? The children's minute was, was wonderful. I don't know that the words, I promise not to kill you, have ever been spoken at a children's minute before. <laughs> but they were. And ideally... This flame was to go up and to be burned away to show this chemical change that happens. But there was something pretty powerful about whoosh, this breath breathing on it and changing the whole children's minute. <laughs> I think it was powerful. Was it powerful? <laughs> yeah, okay. What is conversion? What is the changing of of mind and heart and hands for the sake of Christ. I love Senior Recognition Sunday. It's, it's always a little bittersweet. We're so blessed to have this next generation, 44 of them, as community converters, people converters. They're right here with us. And they've been with us. Many of this class started out in first school or ECDC, and they stood so many times on the steps, either for Baby Recognition Sunday or singing in children's choirs, confirmation, and now, once again, for Senior Recognition Sunday. We've been able to be a part of their faith story. But where they began and where they are now and where they end up is different places. Because the grace of God is continuing to work in their lives and not only to change and to form them, but to help them form and change the world. A few years from now, some will go to the workplace, some will go to college, but the next few years will form and will shape this class and they will shape those around them a few days ago, the, the seniors took a vote about where they believed one another might end up in a few years. It was a lot of fun. One was voted as with the Lifetime World Traveler Award. There's an Olympic athlete in the bunch. There's a Broadway singer in the bunch. There's an NFL draft pick in the bunch. There's one who will be a millionaire before he turns 30. I have him on the finance committee already. <laughs> There's a winner of The Voice, a winner of American Idol. There's a full-time artist. Um, this class said that one of them will have six children. <laughs> one will be a lottery winner, but will lose the ticket before cashing it in. <laughs> one will cure the common cold. One will be president of the United States. God help him. <laughs> what they are and the roads they will take to get there, oh, it's going to be fun to watch where you go, where God leads you. 
But I tell you on this day, what is more important to me than those titles or any accolades that you have achieved to this point or will achieve in your next step is if you will allow God to continue to shape your story and shape this world through you. Will you continue to walk with Jesus Christ? The thing is, the Saul about whom we read in verse 1 and the Saul in verse 8 are two totally different people. Parents, are your teenagers different now than they were when they sang with ECDC? Are they different than they were 24 hours ago? Maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe. In verse 1, Saul is so self-righteous. He's so full of himself. He's been to the best school. He's had the best teacher. This guy named Gamaliel was the top professor in philosophy and theology and all the ways of life. And that was Paul's personal tutor. And so Paul, was all, he just thought he had it all right. And he thought he was doing right. And so he strolls into Damascus upright, powerfully, rounding up Christians to be tried and tortured and likely martyred. But by verse 8, Saul is blinded and he is being led by the hand like a helpless child. And sometimes that's the very first step of being converted. In a few short verses, Saul changes from powerful to powerless, from replete to starved, from going forward to falling backward. Will Willimon says, such a turning, such a turn of events, this helpless regression accompanied by blindness and confusion and speechlessness and hunger and childishness is for our peculiar faith as we know it, the very beginning step of wisdom. Saying we don't have it all figured out, that's the first step of wisdom. That's the first step of being shaped and changed by God. You know, sometimes I, uh, when I'm teaching Bible study, we get to this passage. I, I hear from people who feel guilty or inadequate because they haven't had this Damascus Road experience like Paul had. You know what I'm talking about? They, they didn't have a light, blinding, audible voice of God kind of moment. And so they feel like, man, am I not good enough for God? What am I doing wrong? We place a lot of times this... Uh, Saul Damascus Road experience on such a high pedestal that when it isn't part of our faith story it becomes too impossible and too improbable so you know a lot of people actually walk away from the Christian faith because they say well that's Paul and I haven't had that kind of experience in my life the truth is that very few of us do have that kind of conversion story some do and it's a powerful testimony but that kind of conversion story and something that is being redeemed, they can be kind of separate things. We tend to think about Paul being knocked off a horse. That's actually an image that came from one of my favorite authors, Flannery O'Connor. But the hyperbole of it is just striking. Boom, he gets knocked off the horse. He's flat on the ground and he can't see and he has to just hold his hand. You ever been in a place in your life where all you could do is hold out your hands and say, leave me because I don't know where I'm going? Seniors, y'all feel like that right now? I don't know what I'm... I don't know what I'm getting myself into, much less how to get out of it. And so most of us, instead of having this sort of light-blinding Damascus Road 
faith experience. We just know that we've always been in the faith and shaped by God through the church, our family. There's another conversion embedded in this story, though, and I think it's the type conversion that most of us experience and about which most of us need to hear because it is truly a sign of the way that disciples should act by yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's this secondary conversion, the one that happens to Ananias. Ananias was an insider and found conversion. Paul was an outsider and found conversion. Isn't that the Easter story? The people on the inside of the church and people on the outside of the church, they all need the same grace, don't we? Yes. We all need the power and presence of a resurrected Christ who says, I will not let death, I will not allow suffering to have the final word in your lives. I will not allow the darkness to win. And I'm giving you one another as lights to bear witness to that. I've also thought about the story of President, uh, former President Jimmy Carter uh, who had uh, some kind of conversion experience at the age of 11, but he says, being born again didn't happen to me when I was 11. For me, it has been an evolutionary thing. Rather than a flash of light or a sudden vision of God speaking, it involved a series of steps that have brought me steadily closer to God. And when I was 11, that was one of those many steps. Sometimes I think President Carter is actually a Methodist. That's really good theology. It's really good theology. We call it sanctification, allowing God to make us holy. So we might not have a billboard moment or a star-gazing, streaking moment, but we just know, as love said, we just know that, that God loves us and that our role here is to let others know that they're loved by God. And so we tend to overlook the moments in our lives that we write off as routine or banal, and we don't have these flashes of light and these voices from heaven. But Saul's conversion and Ananias' conversion, although different and painted differently by Luke, they're equally as important to the mission and the message of Jesus Christ. So if you've had a light blinding moment or you're just constantly being converted, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Ananias was given this vision as Paul was given a vision, but Ananias was given a vision to go and do something really, really hard and strange. Ananias, go find Saul. He's waiting for you, by the way. He's expecting you. Go find Saul, lay hands on him, and call him your brother. Now, I don't know about you, but if God is telling me to go to my worst enemy, the one who actually wants my life incarcerated or to end and says, call that person your sister or your brother, I'm saying, how about no? If I'm being honest. Saul had been spewing these self-righteous declarations about this preposterous movement called the way, and he was determined to round them up in mass and to bind them, put them in prison, and maybe even have them stoned like Stephen was stoned just a few chapters prior. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not that big of a region. Word gets around. Ananias and the other believers, they knew that one of their fellow Jews was on the warpath. Saul was coming, and Ananias had this 
Jonah moment. Like, don't send me to Nineveh to do that. Absolutely not. Run for the hills, y'all. Saul's coming. But then I started thinking about this conversion story a little more prayerfully. And I think they're more tied up in one another than we realize. Because I don't think Saul was actually converted on that Damascus road. In fact, I don't think Saul was even converted. I don't think he experienced change until Ananias experienced change. I don't think that, a, that another human being uh, was touched by God until Ananias was willing to say, I'm going to set aside my fear and my anxiety and my hate for that other person. And when that happened, that was conversion. And then Ananias was ready to go be an agent of change once he had sort of cast off this robe and stole of his own righteousness. You see, that's how change happens in this world. It's when we get to a place where we see that Jesus is not on the cross, he's not in the tomb, it's all wide open. And it's waiting for us to look into this emptiness to see that we can be filled up if we will just set aside this fear. And if we can look at another human being and say, that's not the other, that's my brother and my sister. And here's the thing. In this story, there's two sets of scales that, that started falling off. Ananias had scales. He started seeing this other enemy of his. as a, He laid hands on a man who wanted him incarcerated. He laid hands on the enemy. He extended a hand of forgiveness. He, he extended a hand of reconciliation. He laid out his own hands of resurrection, believing that God can truly raise things from the dead. Even Saul, an act so powerful that scales began to fall from Saul's eyes. And here these two men sit, brothers all of a sudden, no longer enemies, I think theologian Hank Williams Sr. would be singing, Praise the Lord, I saw the light. It's a powerful moment. Let's be honest. We want an Ananias kind of faith. We want to be that kind of person who could say, Okay, Lord, I'll go. He may have a dagger under, under his tunic, but I'm going to go. He's killed my, my friends, my families. He's, he's, he keeps tearing us down. He keeps causing harm to me, talking about me behind my back, bullying me. But if you say go, if you say you, you can choose that person as an instrument, I'll go. And I'll hold out my hand and I'll call that person brother or sister. But what we, what we want to do is say, I'll go, but I'm just going to hang on with this hand to my biases and my prejudices and my preconceived notions about people because I, I might need to play that card too. Do we believe in the power of resurrection to the extent that we're willing to be blinded by the light of Christ in order to see others through new eyes? Are we honest enough to acknowledge that our own conversion, dare I say my, our own salvation is more intrinsically tied to the conversion and salvation of others than we even realize? I hope you maybe have Isaiah in your mind when we read, every mountain shall come toppling down and every valley shall be raised up and every crooked pathway made straight and all the rough places in life made smooth. And when we get to that place, all people will see what together? Salvation in this undoing 
There are plenty of high and mighty, low and outcasts, crooked and rough people who need the church to be obedient enough, who need this class to be obedient enough to say, here's my hand. You are a child of God, and that makes you my brother or my sister in Christ. I want to say one more thing that's so important. It's so easy to walk into these, these type conversations that are hard. We know God is sending us by the power of resurrection, by our, even by our own commissioning that we call baptism, that we're being sent to have hard conversations and reconciliation and forgiveness in this world. And it's hard. It's going to cost us something. We're going to have to leave behind a little bit of ourselves. but that's the dying so that we may rise to new life. You know, the only weapon that Ananias took with him on this journey, it wasn't mentioned in the text explicitly. The only weapon, the only thing with which Ananias was armed was Saul's future. The only thing that he was armed with, says Willie Jennings, is his future. Saul sits in the dark and he fasts in hunger for a future that he does not yet possess, but God does, and God will send through the church. God doesn't see Saul as a killer or Ananias as a doubter. He just sees them as people, useful instruments to make a difference in one another's lives. Do we believe it's possible that God can raise dead things to life and change this world? Do we believe that God can use the most despicable parts of ourselves to be redeemed? You see, that's the tension and the freedom of grace. God's nature is to scavenge this world, looking for the deadest places in our condition to redeem and to raise those to new life. And then he sends them out. And we say, well, I don't have the power to do that. I don't know how to do that. And to which God says, well, right, but Jesus showed you the way. When he held out his hands and before he even took his last breath said, forgive them. They don't know, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. And he uses those same hands to place on those who would, had denied him and those who had abandoned him. And, and to cook fish breakfast on a seashore for disciples who had already reverted back to their occupation, forgetting their vocation. And he uses those same hands to bless those same disciples. And all he's calling the church to do is to lend our hands and to call one another brother and sister, even our enemies. I can't think but help, but we have this wonderful opportunity this week. I've been praying about this event. We're going to package 25,000 meals this coming week for Rise Against Hunger. It should be called Resurrection Hunger, I guess. I don't know. I can't help but think about the hands that will be used to package some meals uh, to, to families in some remote part of this world, maybe they don't have any hope and they're going to receive the hands of Jesus. Matthew 25 moment, when you've done it under the least of these, because all authority and power has now been given to us to lend a hand and to call one another brother and sister. Conversion, it's painful, but it's what we do. We shed the old and we take on the new. We give ourselves to this power to be raised to new life in Christ until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly table with all the people we never expected to see there. That is the first step 
of being Easter people. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, again, pour out your Holy Spirit on this senior class. May the power and presence of resurrection fall freshly upon them that as they take their next steps, they would be so courageous to lend a hand and to call someone brother and sister and then to grab a hand when the time comes, let someone help them up and to hear those words, you are my brother and you are my sister. May we all help one another through this world in that way. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.